Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Dory with you. Marcus Allen with us. Marcus, uh, is, uh, his websites are linked up at coasttocoastam.com. He's the United Kingdom publisher of Nexus Magazine, and we're talking about the skeptics and going to the moon. So we've talked about the rocks, Marcus. We've talked about the Russians not saying anything. We talked about some of the film. What else is out there that got you convinced that we didn't go there? It's basically the information that's contained within the Apollo record, the uh, lack of information in certain areas, uh, the point that I made about vacuum levels uh, destroying photographic film, persuades me that there are questions still to be answered. NASA have been approached. I've approached them. I've asked them, in fact, I was asking them about uh, the protection that the spacesuits would offer against radiation. I said, well, could these spacesuits be used to technicians to go into nuclear reactors like Fukushima or Three Mile Island or uh, um, Chernobyl over in Ukraine? Could they be used because they protected the astronauts against the radiation in space? And we know there's radiation in space. Sure. And uh, they said, well, the manufacturer of the spacesuit, which is the people I approached, said, you better direct your question to NASA because we just created the spacesuits according to their specification. They told us what to build and we built them or we made them. So I approached NASA and asked that question, and I'm still waiting for the reply. If they ever do reply, they may not. Now, I knew Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell. He apparently went to the moon. I don't think he was lying to me, Marcus, but your thoughts? That's a question that would be appropriate for every astronaut. Um, You've probably seen the famous... uh, um, film that Bart Sibrell made about approaching the Apollo astronauts. Oh, absolutely. The, the Buzz world. Aldrin took a swipe at him, didn't he? Yes, it was Buzz Aldrin. Well, quite right, too. Um, as Bart said, I, I was uh, I was way out of order on that. He was a, he admits much that. Old, a much older gentleman than I was. I shouldn't have approached him in that way, and he apologized to him. But uh, uh, the point about it is that as, as I understand it, maybe you can uh, correct me if I'm uh, incorrect on this, that if somebody is seen to swear an oath on a Bible, that is taken or can be taken as a legal admission, and it can be used in court. Now, I don't know if that's correct or not. I think only in court. I think it has to be in court in order okay. to do that. So it has to be in court. But it was rather... Um, informative that only three astronauts were prepared to swear on the Bible that they had walked on the lunar surface. Well, I I think the argument for those astronauts who would not do that was they felt it was offensive to them when they went there. Yes. Uh, I, I, I I can quite understand that because to, to have one of the major events of your life being questioned right. would be very uncomfortable. Especially when you risked and your life to get there. Exactly. Because this is a very dangerous undertaking. I mean, it is to, still today. 
We all saw those rockets take off. We saw them on television, or a million people watched Apollo 11 take off. There were less people at, at subsequent launches, but there were still hundreds of thousands of people. So there's no doubt that the rocket took off. But two minutes after it was uh, launched, it disappears from sight. So the because it, it's 50 miles downrange, it's moving quite fast, sure. and it's up in space. So people on Earth can't see it. You know, it's it's like trying to see uh, an aeroplane. Uh, you, you can see when an aeroplane is flying because of the uh, of the contrails behind it. So you look at the front of it and you think, well, where's the plane? And this is only six miles up, 30,000 feet or so, height of Mount Everest. And something the size of a jumbo jet, which is quite a large piece of kit, it's just invisible unless you use binoculars. So a rocket that's 50 miles up is not going to be visible to anybody on Earth. And we have to rely on NASA to tell us what's going to happen next. And they told us in interminable detail what happened next. Every word spoken on the spacecraft was recorded. We were told where it was going. Well, it was going to the moon, obviously, but we're on, on its way. It takes three days to reach the moon from Earth because even though it launches at 25,000 miles an hour, that's, that's escape velocity from Earth. So with these missions, Marcus, what do you think happened? They were launched, they went to the moon, they went around the moon, but they just never landed? Well, that's an interesting question, because if one, if one takes the view, as I do, and there's quite a few other people do as well, that getting to the moon is not really very much of a problem using equipment that was even available back in the 1960s. It was done first by the Soviets in 1959, they right. got a rocket to the moon. Now, getting humans to the moon and back again, alive, that is a very, very different matter. Because even launching, it's, it's, it's a very uh, exciting event to watch. I mean, it's a huge thing, this rocket. When you come back from the moon, let's, just, let's say that you got to the moon, if you come back from the moon, you have to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. The problem is that you're re-entering the Earth's atmosphere at the same speed you left it at, because gravitational attraction accelerates right. anything right. coming towards Earth. If you enter the Earth's atmosphere at 25,000 miles an hour, you've got to slow down. And spacecraft don't have brakes. So you've got to use the frictional forces of the atmosphere to remove the kinetic energy the speed of the spacecraft. And that requires a heat shield. And the heat shield obviously worked on Apollo because all the spacecraft came back. Now, in 2014, December 2014, the first launch was made of the Orion spacecraft. That's Apollo 2.0. That's the new craft which is going to be used to send humans back to the moon, directed yeah. by President Trump in 2019. When it had its first test in December 2014, the Orion spacecraft, it almost destroyed its heat shield. In fact, it, it was so, so much of a problem 
it had to be completely redesigned, and that's what's happening now. That's why we don't we haven't seen any more launches of the Orion spacecraft. What about the temperature, Marcus, on the surface of the moon? How high did that get? Right. Good point. Good point. On the surface of the moon, the temperature in sunlight is 120 degrees centigrade, higher than the boiling point of water. In the shade, it is minus 120 degrees centigrade. Wow. Colder than any temperature here on Earth. Lowest temperature on Earth is minus 80 in Antarctica and in Siberia. So these are very extremes of, of temperature, which, which humans have to have to be protected against because humans can't survive those temperatures. But because vacuum is a very good insulator, there's only one way to remove heat from an astronaut, and that is radiation. You can't convect it away. You can't use air conditioning because there's no way to dump the heat. You can't dump heat into a vacuum. So we're told that there was water being circulated inside their spacesuit to remove the heat. Well, how is that done if radiation of heat is the only way to remove it? And if you use something called the black body radiation temperature, which involves the Stefan-Boltzmann constant, sorry, getting me technical here, but don't worry, bear with me. I shall. Using the Stefan-Boltzmann constant, you can calculate the internal temperature of the spacecraft. And using that information, and any mathematician will be able to do it quite easily, the answer is 240 degrees Fahrenheit, or 120 degrees centigrade. God, that, that is the internal temperature. The equipment would burn up. The astronauts would burn up. Nobody could live in that. You're, exactly. This is the point. When you start looking into the science of space travel, and we've already mentioned vacuum, and that is a known physical event. Heat is the same. If heat is, and the heat comes from the sun, it's the radiant energy of the sun. That's what we experience here on Earth, which is why the Earth is not a floating snowball, because it absorbs heat. And it also emits heat, which is why the temperature is fairly constant, because the amount of energy coming in is equal by the amount of energy being radiated away. Now, the same thing would apply to a spacecraft. If you put a spacecraft into space, it's going to be in the sun. It's going to be affected by solar radiation. Not just the bad stuff, which we'll um, maybe come to in a minute, but just the radiant energy of the sun. We experience it here on Earth. Everybody knows what radiant energy is. But you get it in space as well. And the point about that is that you've got to remove it it's got to be kept at a constant temperature. And we're told how it was done with, on the Apollo spacecraft. They were, they were using water, which if you put water into a vacuum, it will release heat. So you've got a means of doing it. But the, the description of it on the Apollo spacecraft is so uh, implausible that it could actually operate the way we're told it did. But I tend to ask more questions, which is, well, how did it work? And I've not had 
performances on that. And let me ask you this, Marcus. The the big question is, why fake it? What's the motive here? Okay. That's probably the key question, actually. Absolutely. Why fake it? Somewhere in the mid-1960s, it was definitely... uh, Apollo was set up to succeed. It was being run by the U.S. Air Force. They were called in when things started getting a bit difficult. Touchy. And then in the in the mid nineteen sixties, they would they knew enough. The people at NASA and the other contractors. There were four hundred thousand people involved in Apollo in the mid nineteen sixties. They were trying to they were trying to do the very best job they could, but they knew more than they had when they started, that it was actually very, very difficult. Because getting into space, though it looks quite easy when you see these rockets taking off, it's what happens next that's the the major problem. They'd already launched the Mercury program, that's one man in space. They had the Gemini program, that's two men in space. They were all in low Earth orbit, i.e. about 200 miles up. They knew that going to the moon was a completely different ballgame kind of phrase. They knew that there was enough there were enough problems to be overcome, not least of which is getting there, but even more problems in getting back, getting humans back alive. But it was becoming almost impossible to to agree that they could meet President Kennedy's challenge to get to the moon by the end of the decade. But because they had to be seen to do it, they made one monumental error. What was that? They said, we're going to show it live on television, which, is, which, are, the, which are the pictures we all watched. How on earth do you get a live television picture from the moon, 240,000 miles away, back to Earth? It's a, the average TV transmitter on Earth will transmit over about 60 miles. And we didn't have relay satellites at the time, did we? Exactly, exactly. We didn't have the, we didn't have the technology we have today. Now, now we can do it easily. We, we can transmit television pictures from anywhere in the world, sure. received anywhere. We can world. do it with our phones. Exactly, we do it on the phones. But we didn't have that sort of technology in the 1960s. So there would have been a decision made at quite a high level. It would probably involve the president. And don't forget that by this time, the president is Lyndon Johnson, who had taken over from Kennedy, if you remember the, uh, the assassination and the swearing in of the uh, vice president. And, and then it was Nixon when we landed on the moon. And Nixon managed to take all the credit for it. And uh, you think back to the uh, election in 1960 where... Uh, uh, where Nixon and Kennedy were up against each other. Well, ten, tens of Kennedy. thousands of people, Marcus, worked on the program. Did they all keep this as a secret? All of them? No, of course they didn't. No, no, not one of them did, because they weren't told anything. Because, uh, this is, this I mean, the, the, people, the people in mission control, how did they not know that we weren't there on the moon? They were in the room. They were they were monitoring this thing. They were in communications. How, how did they? They were. How did they get tricked or duped? They weren't tricked. They weren't tricked at all. If you remember, um, Gene Kranz, who was the he was uh, the NASA director. Yeah, mission director. Yes, at, 
uh, he was working at Houston. He was in charge of uh, making sure that everything worked well. He was the sort of head controller. And to practice for the missions, what they did was create simulated um, events. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.